Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Overlap. I'm, of course, joined by Rian, and we are recording back in Riverside. I think we did Zoom the last couple of times, just with the holidays and whatnot. But great platform, as you just heard from the ad. But neither here nor there. Rian, we're celebrating a partial, a partial little win for us this week with the World Cup going on. Partial? A par- I mean, a hu- all right, a huge win. A huge win, which we were... <laughs> We were both wrong about, by the way. I'll remind everybody that we were very incorrect about this. Um, yeah. The U.S. The U.S. I, men's national I, I'm team. Happy, happy to be incorrect. Definitely more, happy more to be than happy on that one. <laughs> more than happy. And um, might I add that the U.S. men's national team, along with England, are going through to the round of sixteen in the World Cup. Did did they go through to the round of sixteen in twenty ten? I believe yes. they did, right? Yeah, yeah, because that was the big that the, was the um, Landon Donovan game, goal. Right? Yep, yep. There we go. So first time since 2010. Um, 2014, of course, they were knocked down the group stages. And no, no, no. 2014, they got out too. Revision history. Out Belgium. Wow. Belgium. Oh yeah. yes, the 15 saves. Of course, how could yeah, I forget? Yeah. <laughs> how could I forget? Well, um, we'll we'll get to Belgium in a little bit, but in the meantime. Rian, we have some pretty big things to talk about World Cup-wise. Uh, I will ask you, though, before we get into all the U.S. stuff and the rest of the World Cup, I have to know, um, how you doing? Just, how's life? <laughs> I mean, we've been so busy with the World Cup, I feel like I have not asked you that question in a while, so what's up? <laughs> good, good. Dude. Thank you. I, um, no, it's good. You know, we're getting to the end of the year here, which uh, usually gets a bit quieter for me with work, and means more time well this year means more time to watch soccer and and uh luckily i have at least a couple people on my on my team at work that are like fans of soccer and and nice. uh and are also kind of like sneaking watching games like on their phone and stuff while, like during the day so um but outside of that i feel like well it's only december 1st but I already feel like behind on Christmas shopping, and so oh the anxiety God. always builds and builds, yeah. and just like paralyzing. So um, yeah, that's the other that's like the other thing that's in the forefront of my mind. But I just, <laughs> it's like staring me in the face right now. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, I have not thought about Christmas shopping. I've or I've ordered one gift, and it's for my dad. And I, my dad does not actually listen to the podcast. Fun fact: I don't know if you've ever told you that he doesn't listen to it because he <laughs> he specifically doesn't like hearing people talk about sports. He just likes watching it, and he likes like enjoy the game. <laughs> you know, for the game, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> He's very adamant about it too. He's like, I don't know why you guys just talk for like an hour, like once a week. And I'm like, okay, it's not worth my time. Neither here nor there. I got him, which is ironic. The one Christmas gift I've gotten. So, um, is there any, is there anything that's on your wish list? My own personal one? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, nope, not really. Honestly, nothing specific. I don't know. Like talking to like a couple of my like, coworkers and then also like my girlfriend and other people, like this whole thing where people kind of told their parents what, or tell their parents what they want. Um, it's not really a thing that happens in my family so much. Like, or at least maybe, maybe I'm the only person in my family doesn't do it. Who knows? No, I think that's valid. But, um, I don't, it, it's not, it wasn't like that a normal thing growing up. Although like, when I was younger, it was a bit more obvious to tell what I wanted. Like it was usually like something, it's a video game or something like that. So like, 
it was yeah. way easier back then to kind of hint at it. But yeah, no, nothing specifically. You know, I, I'm just like anything that would be a nice thing to add to the apartment here or something that's like functionally very useful. Like I was talking to a couple of coworkers yesterday about like their like Dyson vacuums that they have. Oh my and, God. Yeah. And they were saying it's how amazing it. those were. And I was like, Oh wow. Interesting. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. So we're, we're old man. We're old. Like <laughs> we're talking about Dyson vacuums and knickknacks for the apartment. Like, that's yeah. Full I mean, adults. Dyson vacuums are no joke. Those are like six hundred dollars. I so, know. <laughs> <laughs> that's not something I could have paid. That I could have remotely come close to paying for at any other time in my life. So true. True. Yeah. Um. Other part would be the like robot vacuums, which are also clutch. Mm. I I got one like a yeah, month you ago. Yeah, you have one. Yeah, I got a new one even like a month ago, and that one is so much better than my old one. Like I'll turn it. On. It's like remote <laughs> control for my phone and everything. Anyway, nice. now we're. I think I said this like a couple of weeks ago. We're a lifestyle podcast now. You get our, you get Christmas <laughs> tips about your gifts. You get soccer knowledge, and it's it's a wonderful time here on the overlap. <laughs> anyway, um, I'll keep a couple of those in mind. I don't know what I want for Christmas. I really don't. I mean, I'm a big holiday guy in general. I will be non World Cup times, like walking around Union Square. I will be all over the winter and Christmas villages. Sign me up. I'm there, but. <laughs> Before we get Have you to been that to Rockefeller point. yet? No, because I mean they lit the tree like what yesterday? Like just yeah, I think it was yesterday to in the last couple of days. Yeah, it must have been very recently. So I need to go through there. It will it will make my day. Um, so catch me there. If if here's here's how I'll put it: if the U.S. and Argentina win on Saturday, I will be just out walking and gallivanting through the holiday spirit because <laughs> I will be running riding such a high. Um, which is which is an interesting outcome because that quarterfinal would then be the U.S. versus Argentina, and I do not know what I'm going to do if that happens. Oh, my gosh. So, wow. So, Fingers crossed. That would be great. That would be fun. It would be, be very fun. fun, but I don't want to test any allegiances there. So <laughs> let's talk about the one allegiance I actually do have. Um, let's talk about the U.S. men's national team, Rian. Let's talk about the – magical ball busting game that was Iran. Oh, great, <laughs> great wordplay. Yes, thank you. I appreciate that. You're very welcome. Um, I did it for you. But we're going to start there and we'll, after the break, we'll talk a little bit about the rest of the groups and how they're shaping out now that most of the match days in the group stages are just about over, at least at the time of recording, recording on a Thursday night, specifically December 1st. So, Rian, you're Greg Berhalter. You are sitting in the U.S. Men's National Team training camp about a day before you go out and play Iran. Obviously, the whole stuff with Tyler Adams' press conference, even Greg Berhalter's portion of the press conference comes out. I want to start there and then bleed into the lineup and the rest of the game. Do you think that that press conference actually set a tone for, for the game? Do you think there was any element of, you know, uh, I guess, maturity that we saw from either Tyler Adams or a sense of respect that we saw there, anything that you may think ha have had an effect on the field? You know, I, I thought when, and, and Ellis is obviously talking about um, kind of whole controversy with the U S removing the Islam Islamic emblem from the Iranian flag. And then, you know, their explanation afterwards was that they're trying to do it to show, unity for the for the protests in iran you know they they could have 
as someone said on Twitter, they could have just like said that instead of you know take yeah. instead of like um, altering the flag itself. <laughs> but uh, I think for the kind of narrative going into that game, I thought when that was kind of coming out, I never expected it to be something that you know spurred on the Iranian team because. We knew that from the first game of this tournament, they didn't sing the national anthem, and and they had multiple players plus the coach come out against the, what is going on in Iran right now with um, how obviously the women are being treated, and and their stances on the protests. So it wasn't something that I ever expected to be controversial for the players on on Iran themselves and, and be something where they're like oh yeah no we actually love the government now <laughs> like, like I didn't expect it to, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't expect it to change anything like that and and we saw in, in the, the images after the game right where after the US won lots of people in Iran were actually very happy that the government couldn't use this team as you know a way to you know, sports wash in, in yeah. some sense, um, what's going on there, right? And and we saw like, in the press conference itself, those reporters were, I mean, I guess they, I have no clue what, who they work for specifically, but they didn't, they kind of did not seem like they were working for like independent news sources, right? They it kind of felt Correct. like they were government <laughs> sources going in and just trying to um i think take the attention away from what was going on in iran itself and turn it into what happened with the u.s social media um administrator like, taking the emblem off the flag so for uh, sure all that to say that taliana's response was extremely mature and, and it and it wasn't surprising to me because he's shown this maturity for years now it's not just this not just this season not just since he's become captain um but he's shown this maturity for years and years like going back to like his teenage years as i think a lot of red bulls fans would, would say yeah definitely and it was just i think for me uh a real element of warmth and gratitude not warmth i, I think that's maybe the the wrong phrase but it was very very nice right to see tyler adams in that element because you kind of saw why he was chosen as the captain of this team. And I was very, very impressed with it. I love to see that sort of attitude of very, very direct, but firm without being disrespectful. Um, and I think quite honestly, that set the tone in some ways for the actual way that this game played out and shifting focus, I guess, towards kind of the lineup. We saw one pretty major change um, in central defense Right. Um, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on whether you think that was a positive change or do you think that, I guess it was a risky change knowing that Zimmerman and Reem had been playing together for the last two games and, I mean, kept two non-penalty clean sheets, essentially. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I was definitely somewhat surprised to see Cameron Carter-Vickers get the start in that game. That was really the only major change from um the game against England and obviously like Sargent coming back into the lineup was the, was the other change but Carter Vickers I I I didn't expect it and and I think we got to be all pretty pleasantly surprised not even just pleasantly surprised like impressed 
with yeah. how well he slotted in. And I thought he was pretty much flawless in that game. And I think kind of the big difference that he gives you from Walker Zimmerman is the passing. Like the passing was just better um, yeah. coming from, from Carter Vickers. And we saw Zimmerman come on later and you saw his strengths where, you know, that guy will just eat up balls in the box. <laughs> like, like any ball that's whipped in, like he, yeah. he's pretty great at getting his head on it. Um, I, I think that this game specifically, like against Iran, like the pattern of play that we probably would have expected this to go, where a lot of U.S. possession and a lot of them trying to break down Iran is just a, a game that f- I think fit Carter Vickers' strengths more than Zimmerman's strengths, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I completely agree with you. And I think thinking about the way that Iran played in their first two games, right, they played very direct. They played with overloads out wide. Um, they were very, very smart in the way that they played. And one of the things that I, I think this game needed in – can I just call him CCV? Like, does anyone want to call yeah, him that? Yeah, Okay. Right, I'll just gonna call, for the sake of brevity, I'm going to For brevity, him. yeah. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that he offered – and I was, I was equally surprised to see him included. I think he offered an outlet, that passing outlet, to basically some combination of Eunice Musa or Tyler Adams. And from there, you, you could see there were a couple times where the game opened up. I mean, even on plus six goal – that's sort of how it started from the very, very beginning. And I think that was the idea, at least if I'm reading the tea leaves from Greg Berhalter, that's that's my thought process. The other thing that I thought was really interesting when, obviously, Christian Pulisic went off um, due to his quote-unquote abdomen injury, um, I thought Aronson basically replicated the same thing. Like, there was no change of, of tactic. It was very much keep the same narrative going and... Iran only really got a grip on this game towards maybe the 70th minute onwards. And I think that yeah, was largely right. driven just by the score and the nature of the game and how it flowed. Obviously, the only thing that I'll say CCV um, potentially even slip up on, but just a risky moment at the very, very end with the penalty and um, not knowing whether that was going to be called. But obviously, it was certainly not a penalty, oh, nor was it called one. That would, that would have been scandalous. Yeah. That would have been absolutely scandalous. Um, but I think, uh, like you said, the really impressive thing that, that we saw, I think, in this game was that kind of building out fully from the back. And we saw it a bit in the game against England and maybe a couple instances against Wales, especially in the first half. But it, I, I can't remember if I've said this before, but it, again, impressed with how comfortable Matt Turner has looked with the ball at his feet and he and there was like a few times in this game where he played a good pass like bypassing his own center backs into the midfield um thinking about I believe the way offside goal which was spiritually onside and (laughs) and the and the um the chance from uh, Wea and Sargent where Wea tried to play this which would have been a beautiful one too in the box with, with Sergeant, but it was like just just cut out in the box. Um, both of those started from Matt Turner passes, and I mean the goal itself as well. So I've been really impressed from his standpoint, where we are still able to like play from the bat, and 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 I thought his, I think his passing has been been really good, and it's like, I feel like I'm, I've probably said this before too, but like weeks we expected Zach Steffen to go to to Man City and be and 
kind of build on someone who's already supposedly like a, a, a plus goalkeeper with his feet. Uh, and it's funny that Matt Turner has gone to Arsenal in, in same situation where he's a second keeper, but he actually seems like he's gotten better at playing the ball with his feet, at least in the last like two years. So yeah. uh, a, a lot of props to him for like adding that to his game and, and making it a real like plus part of his game that helps the team, um, especially in these types of games. And I think that's something to really think about going into the matchup against the Netherlands is these three group games playing style in two of them were very different than the one against England and that the playing style against the Netherlands will be more similar to what it was against England than in against Iran or Wales, but not to get ahead of myself, at least, let's talk about the goal itself. What were your impressions on, you know, not only the build-up itself, but you know, the f- actual execution in the final third, which is when this team hasn't played well, that's been what's lacking for the most part. Is that execution in the in the last third of the pitch? So I'll I'll say this about execution and on that goal specifically. The reason that goal gets scored is 75% Pulisic. Like, that is... He didn't make the goal, but the reason, obviously, that he was able to get into the position that he did prior to that ball being played across the box without actually either A, being in some sort of very weird offside position, or being ahead of, um, the, the I guess, two Iranian defenders at that point... That is what impressed me the most. It was his positional awareness to be in slightly behind, knowing that the ball is coming backwards in some capacity. And that slight edge is literally the reason he scored it. Because otherwise, it's being cleared off the line and he's not, you know, ball kicking it into the net. It's just not happening. What I also will say about that goal that, again, looking towards the Netherlands game I'm thinking about is I would have preferred to have or I will prefer to have Gio Reyna play against the Netherlands than Josh Sargent. I think that to me is a must because in order to (laughs) basically, let's say the U S find themselves in a very similar position, being able to play that ball across the six yard line or at 12, some, something like that. You're up against Virgil van Dyke and, Delict. That's very different from anything they've ever faced before. Arguably one of the best center backs in the world. And you're going to need more, more creativity and a more creative outlet like Gio Reyna in order to, to have those balls beat any of those center backs. So I think, honestly, that's, that's the biggest thing for me is, look, I think they did a great job on the goal and creating that chance. And Pulisic was, again, 75% the reason why it went in. I think they're just going to need more against the Netherlands. And I think that maybe goes without saying in some capacity. Uh, yeah, I, I think you're not... <clears throat> yeah, it's not crazy to say that at all. Like We haven't seen what it looks like with Giorreno in that position. And it's still somewhat murky what his fitness is right now. And, and I'm still just going to kind of err on the side of if he was like legitimately healthy enough to play more than, what was it, like eight minutes in that England game in the last um, bit of it. Then he probably would have, um, but but you know, hopefully maybe the the extra few days um, will mean that maybe we get 
maybe we get 20 minutes, 30 minutes. I don't know. I, I don't expect him to start go from not from from not playing from at not all playing, basically yeah. to, to starting. <laughs> uh but I think kind of to stay on the the goal itself. You know, I I've been asking for this uh, like in the last few games from Weston McKenney specifically, right? Where I'm just like I you know, we got to get more from that from any one of those three center midfielders. Specifically I was thinking about Eunice or Weston, but we had to get a bit more from them in terms of like incisive passing and and um, taking risks, but also like executing all of them, right? And that ball into Serginho Des was beautiful, and, and the movement of that goal too was was also beautiful. I don't know if you've gotten to see that that uh, tactical cam view of of the goal it's like oh from the one that's like the 100 feet above the, yeah. the field i have not but go ahead yeah um it, it's it's really really nice movement that you see as Weya kind of drifts inside and pulls the left back from iran inside with him dest recognizes the space and starts to make that run and then from there you can also see where pulisic starts to make the run as well i guess basically as soon as McKenney picks the ball up and is starting to shape his body to play the pass. Pulisic starts running in. And that's the kind of goal that you see a lot from, you know, like the Man City wingers, right? Yeah. And and it's obviously a very Barcelona, like Croyfian, Pep Guardiola type of goal where, you know, that ball is played and then the the opposite side really in, inverted wingers that run <laughs> exactly. never heard yeah. of it <laughs> <laughs> the opposite winger is making that run to the far post we've seen i mean raheem sterling made like years out of doing that at, at, at city right so he scored so many of his goals and it was really really beautiful to watch and um and it was just felt like it was always going to take a bit of like a special moment for them to break through Iran. But, you know, that being said, that whole first half, they were all over. They were all over Iran. Um, I think the, the one thing that scared me was the first 15 minutes, it was like guns blazing. And, and yeah. obviously it had to be, they needed to score like that. They couldn't, they couldn't end that game in a nil, nil draw. <laughs> right. Um, but it was guns blazing. It felt a lot like the game against Wales where everyone came out with their hair on fire. And I was like scared in the sense of, damn, they might, this, this is not a sustainable way to play 90 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, um, and, and I'm obviously scoring the goal was like the most important thing in that first half, especially not only while they had the momentum, but while they had the energy and, uh, the, the second half, even though it got pretty touchy even the last 10, 15 minutes, um, I think Iran didn't have a shot until the 52nd minute, and then they had another one at the 70th, and then all of their best chances came in at a time. So yeah. I, I think that they, that for the most part they did handle that well. Like Iran was not, even though they had you know position in our final third and, and in, in our half, they were not really creating anything. And I thought defensively that that the second half was nail-biting and, and really tense and way more tense than anyone wanted it to be, but wasn't as dangerous as it probably felt in the moment. 
if, if that I, I I agree, and I think one of the things that you said last time we we spoke just about the U.S. really resonated with me in this game, which was the idea of shots versus shots on goal, right? And the fact that you might have to read me out the stats for the full ninety minutes, but the fact that Iran had virtually none of each is, I think, a really big deterministic factor that they were not at the end of the day fully able to break down this U.S. defense. It's like the definition of bend but not broke, broken, right? Yeah. That's that's how I really felt by by the end of this game, um, with, of course, the exception of holding my breath for like a minute during the penalty non-review thing at the end. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, that was that's the only thing that I would, would say there is I think the shots do actually tell a really really critical story. Yeah, and, and it was only four shots in total from from Iran, and yep. none of them on target as you as exactly. you're saying. Um, it, it was a good showing defensively from the team, and again, you know, as we can start to kind of look towards the match against the Netherlands on Saturday. Um, at least for you, what do you think are your biggest concerns from you know, the U.S. side, whether it's personnel, playing style, whatever? So I would say it's two things. One, I'm, con- I'm concerned just generally how strong this Dutch team is defending. Um, I, I think that's going to be really hard. We're not going to win balls in the air. Let's be clear about something there. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> well, good. We, we haven't done that so far anyway. Yeah. So yeah, we, yeah, we yeah. Can just, we can, we'll just continue that trend. Move on to the next thing, right? Figure out your strengths. Um, that's not going to happen. Like, rule set pieces out. I think I don't think this U.S. team is scoring from a set piece. I think the Dutch very well could score from a set piece. Yeah. The other thing that concerns me is this midfield battle. I think this game is absolutely going to be won in the midfield. And I know that's somewhat of a cliche, but I mean that in like the most intense way possible in, in this scenario, in that I think over 50% of this game is going to be played in the midfield. I think probably the the biggest threat that the Netherlands will pose is how do you stop Frankie de Jong? Do you stop him by fouling him and not letting him progress the ball forward and slowing down their attacking buildup? Or do you try and stop the ball even getting to his feet as many times as you can? I don't have a perfect answer. But if I'm Greg Berhalter, I'm thinking about the latter. I don't want the ball to get to Frankie de Jong because he's, quite honestly, he's going to run through this this midfield. He does it, he does it to almost every other midfield in the world. I, I don't think we're the, an exception or a special exception in this case. Mm-hmm. So you're better off, again, relying on a three-man press up front and I think you're going to have to overload the midfield rather than the wide areas in this case and rely on all of that, that whole defensive line to zonally mark Netherlands front three. You're going to have to rely on um, whatever center back duo starts on Saturday to also just duo and double Gakpo in whatever way you can. <laughs> um, and I think that's probably the, the formula going forward or for Saturday at least. Yeah, um, I think you make a a really good point on the midfield specifically. I expect we're going to see a pretty similar defensive game plan to what we saw against England, where they basically play like the U.S. basically played a four four two out of possession, and you had in that game it was Wea and I think Wright as the as the front two. Um, 
fingers crossed that Josh Sarden will be able to play in this game. You know, he hurt his ankle at the end of the at the end of the um, Iran game against Iran, and basically what we saw against England was those two up front shielding the ball from Declan Rice, and you'd see either Tyler Adams or Yunus Musa step when the ball did somehow make it into Rice or when one of the other midfielders tried to come back and, and support the buildup. And I expect we'll see pretty much the same in this game against the Netherlands. I think it'll be a very, very targeted game plan of not allowing Frankie de Jong to get the ball. Um, at least not allowing him to get it from the center backs. Now it'll be interesting because the Netherlands play pretty much a back three with Nathan Ake um, as like kind of like the third center back. So it there's that's a numbers game, right? Where you have the three center backs against the two U.S. forwards trying to stop the ball into Frankie. So it'll be interesting to see how the U.S. tries to match up there and 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 just still deny the ball, but. Outside of that, I think the other ish concern that I have is about that kind of um, running out of steam thing that we saw against Wales. What do you mean by that? We saw it against – so, you know, the second halves against – especially against Wales, where we saw the team really tire out. Now, good amount of that was down to guys being partially injured in in Weston McKennie's case, right? But then we saw it in – against Iran as well. Like uh, Basically, once Weston and Yunus Musa had kind of run out of gas, like that's where the game became more of a hold, let's hold the line for the next like, 15, 20 minutes. Right? And, the, and the team just looked like they couldn't really um, get a second win, really. So I think that is my other concern. The reason I... Don't think it will be as much of a problem as it was against Iran and, and Wales is that those were two games where the pattern of play was the U.S. having a lot more of the ball, Iran having to – Iran and Wales looking for something on the counter. And then once the U.S. got a lead, then the game kind of flipped because, you know, obviously chances were taken yeah. more on the side of the team that we're, uh, we're losing. In this game, I think if the U.S. plays it more like the game against England – I don't think we saw as much of that like uh, running out of steam in the second half against England because we just simply weren't pressing as much as we did against Wales and Iran. So I have some hope that we're not going to fully run out of steam. We're not going to run out of steam at least in the ninety minutes from a team point of view. Who, like, if we get to one hundred twenty minutes, then you know, both, both <laughs> teams Everyone's are running out of gassed. steam. <laughs> so so yeah. you know it's it's even at that point, but. Um, I think just one last point on this is the midfield itself, going back to that, I do like how we match up against them from a physical point of view. I think no matter what, Frankie de Jong is going to be the best midfielder on the on the pitch between either team, right? But as we've seen with the Dutch so far, one – they're not playing three midfielders. They're playing like Frankie and I think it's been Coop Miners before. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they're basically playing like a three four three. So they're already playing with just two in the in the center. Um, it's called it's called a pick and, and roll. I don't know if you've heard. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think we saw that from Germany in one of their, we literally their games on a corner kick routine. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the other thing, though, is that in none of their first three games, they haven't played with a quote-unquote defensive midfielder or, or someone who's like quite adept at winning the ball back yeah. right we know frankie's strength it's the it's the progression it's his like vision when he when he's running at um the opposition but i think from um a physical and like tactical point of view he does get isolated in that midfield at times because they're just not playing two midfielders that are sitting deeper so um yeah i think the u.s could get some success in transitions from there and that's probably where they're going to look to hit them. And on top of everything, this hasn't been like a great three games from the Netherlands either, right? Yeah. Like between them and the U.S. are like both like in the bottom six or so of, of XG <laughs> per 90 um, in this Well, this okay, tournament. if we're – this is the one aspect of world football where – XG, you might as well throw it out the frickin' window this entire yeah, tournament. Yeah, this, is, this is also, yeah, small sample size. We're talking about three games and goals. But I, I, I don't matter. mean to, I, I don't mean to take away anything from your point, but like, I think the most XG in the group stage at this point was what, Germany? Like, with yeah. like 10 or something? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll get on to. <laughs> like, we will. I, yes. Yes. But, but no, I get your point. You know, again, this is tournament football all that matters is results this is not uh it's not even if we were talking about like them playing 10 games and going to knockout stage then this would mean a bit more but um more to the point of we're not looking at a team that has been really dominant in any of their games um even to the point of you know i i know that England kind of benefited from just scoring a lot of their early chances against Iran, but but even to that point of showing that they can be a team, the the Dutch like showing that they can be a team that opens up the opposition and creates loads of chances. They haven't done that in any of their games, and I think if we look at how they played against Ecuador and how or how Ecuador played against them in a game that the the Dutch scored e- early, Ecuador, Ecuador should have won. I mean, yeah, the Dutch scored just... early on, on literally their first shot, had one other shot for the rest of the game, and were getting absolutely run over in the second half from the very athletic midfield of Ecuador. And, and you saw on the goal that they scored, that was just winning the ball in midfield and creating a transition, which is basically the biggest strength of the U.S. as well. So 100%. I think uh, if we're looking at like a blueprint for, for this game, where success could be found, it's probably something similar to how the Netherlands game against Ecuador played out. Yep. Yep. 100%. Well, I think that's basically all of our thoughts on the U S obviously we'll have more depending on how Saturday goes. Well, it'll be very positive or very negative, but let's take a quick break around. We'll talk about the rest of the games in the group stages and the last final match days there. And then uh, we'll wrap up with some final thoughts on who's moving forward. <laughs> 